1: Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey everybody, John Manuel and J.J. Cooper here with you. Baseball America and BaseballAmerica.com and of course live on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Uh J.J., it's been a week since we podcasted, it's been a week since you Facebook-lived. Sorry, right, guys. Um, it's a little bit less uh, close to your uh, well, less close to your grill on this Facebook Live. But uh, that one was the eve of the Rule 5 draft. So we have never done ramifications of said Rule 5 draft. We'll talk Rule 5 draft today. We'll talk about the prospects who were traded. We'll take your questions. We'll talk about the prospect handbook. Uh, so this one might go for a while. So if one of us has to get up and hit stop, we apologize for the, for the visuals. But uh, we should do that off the, off the, gap, uh, off the start here. It's, it's me and JJ. We should apologize for the visuals. Uh, right now, JJ, you like the sweater.
0: <laughs> I wasn't prepped for Facebook live today. Some I just wanted to stay warm.
1: Some things are better left unsaid. Um, <laughs> it was an action packed rule five draft. They all are for you and I. Now I bailed on the rule five this year, much to your chagrin. Um, but I guess I'd seen it coming that it was going to be, well, <laughs> I, I'm not ashamed. I'm, i I was a good drive home. Um, the Padres you wrote that they were going to dominate the rule five draft. Um, you know, Rule five dominated it
0: like no one ever has.
1: Well, in a way they did in a way they didn't. Um, you really, To me, you dominate a Rule 5 draft when you actually get somebody who becomes an impact major leaguer. Did they get somebody who will be an impact major leaguer for the San Diego Padres?
0: If they did, it will not be in 2017. I mean, that's – and if you are looking at the guys who make an impact out of the Rule 5 draft, it is a lot harder to find guys who make an impact where you say – not ready, but we're going to stash him, and then give us a couple of years and he's really going to turn into something. It's really hard to find those guys who actually do that. Like right. the guys who are, when we go through the impact guys from the Rule 5, I mean, you have the the gold standards, and that's the Joaquim Soria's, Josh Hamilton's, Johan Santana's, you know, Roberto Clemente, if you go back. Right. These are all guys. I mean, Santana did jump from low A to the big leagues, but it wasn't a one-year stop where he then turned around, went back to the minors, and then came back. He came up and he was, stayed up. He was there. Soria was a closer in year one. Hamilton was a very good center fielder for the Reds in year one. Odubo Herrera... Delano De Shields, when we talk about a little bit lesser, but still, you know, Odubu Herrera's been a great Rule 5 pick. Good players. But,
1: Both really solid major league players. Not role players, not guys their teams were stashing, guys who came up as Rule 5 picks and stuck because they were good enough to, to play in the big leagues right away.
0: Now, you flip this and you say, okay, well, let's what's an example of a guy of stash who's still... Most prominent stashes of recent years. Wei-Chung Wang, who the Brewers took... Out of rookie ball, out of the GCL, that's a successful stash. I mean, they kept him all year. Well, I'm saying, I'm saying successful. You said just, stash.
1: That's what I'm saying. Yeah. This is how low the bar is. I'm so thinking, wait, but yeah.
0: here, this is my point. They stashed him. They carried him for a full year. They went through all the hurdles and hassles and all of keeping a guy who was not ready, who had a 10.8 ERA,
1: playing with a 24-man roster.
0: Exactly. They send him back to the minors the next year because, again, once you've kept him for a year, then he's yours. You can he's your develop him like
1: normal. It's like in the old days of uh, Wheel of Fortune. They bought a prize. He's your to, yours to keep.
0: Well, so they keep him. Then they drop him from the 40-man roster, and everyone else looks at him and says, nah, you could keep him, which tells you right there something. Yeah. And they still have him, and he was Rule 5 eligible this year, and no one took him out of Double A. Wang is an example of what I'm talking about with the Padres, which is is that it's just, this is a risky plan, and it's hard to find examples of plans like this that work out, because you're penalizing your big league team, and I don't know how much benefit you get out of it. Eventually, they'll have to get better players.
1: Right. They have to get better players, especially on the pitching staff, JJ. They have to get better players. And they started off the Rule 5 with Miguel Diaz, who is a pitcher. Who was going to be in the prospect handbook no matter what. Uh, he was going to be in the Brewers' top 30. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has upside. He has arm strength. He also has injury history. He also and has, he hasn't pitched above low A. Pitch to away. I was say, he has very little experience. But they just had a guy in Perdomo last year who mm-hmm. we wrote up. He was going to be in the Cardinals' top 20. And then where he was in the top 22, I think, last year in the book. And we wrote, this is a guy who had a good year in the Midwest League. Gonna be asked to jump to the big leagues. That's a big jump, but that it could work. Because he, had, I, I do think Perdomo had more big league survival skills than I think Diaz has at this point. Fastball command, some pitchability, depth of repertoire. I would agree. I, I, I Less would... arm strength and more pitchability.
0: Right. Again, but if you ask me of these three guys, who's the easy guy to carry? <laughs> is Miguel Diaz.
1: Right. Pen
0: starter, whatever.
1: And it's Petco Park. You, you could get away with a. You, know, some you can
0: the you you know you can basically say it's going to be ugly in April it's going to be ugly in May and by June maybe he starts to figure some things out and all that like I that's very I, it's very plausible to me that Miguel Diaz could figure out a way he's a guy where you're not playing with a 24 man roster he's the he's the mop up guy but you need a guy like that that actually serves a role correct he soaks up innings that you otherwise have to give to someone else okay that. You could set him aside and say that is a perfectly plausible Rule Five pick that that pays off every now and then. Right. That's- a lot of times you end up with he's not he's a very different pitcher than T.J. McFarland. He's a very different pitcher than uh, Sean Gilmartin. But those guys essentially soaked up innings, and they were better. They were more ready to do that. But right. but
1: again. Okay, you need a 12th guy on your staff. Those are more the kind of guys you get like as a minor league free agent. Right. But you can get them in the Rule 5 draft, too. Miguel Diaz certainly has more upside. But Mm -hmm. Luis Terenz and Alan Cordoba, those two guys are, I think, even higher ceiling prospects because these are guys who are up-the-middle players, a catcher and a shortstop. Alan Cordoba was flirting with being in the Cardinals' top 10. Luis Terenz has been in the Yankees' top 10 in the past. But Luis Terenz also has had significant shoulder surgery. And hasn't played above low A and Alan Cordoba and barely
0: has played at low. I mean, has, has like 130
1: at bats, I believe. So right, it was the he doesn't minimum. even have a full low A season. Right, uh, and then Alan Cordoba, um, very far away. Again, low A is the maximum that he's even touched, I believe. Or was he short he's, season? He's, he's
0: an appy league guy. He he had a now he had a great year in the appy league. The Appy League. Okay, so. Had I mean, a really
1: good year last year in the, the GCL, GCL. But this is also a guy who's, I believe, from Panama, close to the Costa Rican border. When Ben Badler wrote about him signing, like this is a, a pretty raw guy. Big-time athleticism and tools. These are He has major league tools, but the chances of jumping from the Appy League to the major leagues, J.J., what is it, 2%? 1%? World. Has anyone ever done I, the, it? In the the World funny Club thing is, is,
0: if you ask me which of these two guys is the easier carry, though, Cordoba is, to me an easier carry because, as difficult as that is, and I think that's very difficult, and it's hard for me to find an example of a guy who's done this progression and taken that progression and succeeded long term at the big leagues. The, the closest example I can think of is if you're looking for in the last in the modern like a last in the 21st century is Everth Cabrera, who Everth Cabrera his professional experience. At the time he was drafted, the Rule Five draft was light years beyond Cordoba.
1: Yeah, he'd spent a full year in this Atlantic League and had success in that. And, had, and I
0: believe he'd had some High A time, if I remember right. Also
1: possible. And yeah.
0: you you look at that. I mean, a guy who'd had High A time, who was better defensively. You you put all that. There were more survival skills there. Right. But Cordoba, I think back to, uh, and they're they're a little bit different players, but Enrique Cruz was an example of a guy. In the Rule Five draft was taken, who was considered a, a pretty prominent prospect, and the idea was is that, you know what, the Brewers, if I remember right, are the team who took them, We're going to carry yes. him for the year, and then after we from the Mets, I think it was a Mets correct. prospect That's the Brewers correct. picked. They're going to carry him for the year, and then we'll let him develop again. And what happens a lot of times with that is is that uh, Cordoba is already behind.
1: Right. I He's, mean, he hit 360 in the Appy League. But it's the Appy League, and he'll I mean, and he'll
0: be twenty, and he turns twenty one this month.
1: So he's turned twenty one. He just, 21 he just turned twenty one. So yep.
0: he's, he's a he played an entire year in the Appy League as a twenty year old. So he's behind.
1: You're basically taking a college age kid and going straight to the big leagues with him.
0: That's what you're doing. And then what you're saying is, is so you're gonna. I mean, again, unless they are happy winning forty, he's gonna get. 75 100 120 at bats this year. It's going to be a lot. If you carry them all year, it's going to be a lost year developmentally. Right. And then you next year what? You send him to high A? I mean, something like that. Yeah. It 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 the 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 break in the development. The throwing a guy into the ocean when he hasn't learned how to swim in the kiddie pool. <laughs> that usually derails development enough where it's hard to find examples of guys who've done that
1: and succeed. And you're reading, I'm reading uh, Derek Gould's report, because Derek wrote him up for us, uh, the Cardinals' top 30. Um, And it just just is the opposite of what works in the Rule 5 draft for me. Proficient at third, has the agility to stick at shortstop, while others see a a jangle of skills that never quite came together to be the sum of the parts. Uh, Raw, at times reckless, with polish his ceiling rises. You don't get polished in the big leagues. You're supposed to perform. Even the Padres are expected to perform. Um, you know There are fans who pay major league prices. As we've learned, though, JJ, tanking does not seem like it drives away the fans. So if the Padres are, you know, um, if we were to redesign their logo as the San Diego Panzers instead of the San Diego Padres, uh, first of all, we don't seem like we mind who the bad guys are anymore. So second of all, Panzers, Padres, they sound closer together. Third of all, if they're tanking, this is the way you tank. I don't, I don't even think that he's good enough... To tank—that's really what they're. That's the. Uh, uh, that, that's really the question: Are these guys good enough for us to keep them to tank? I mean, like we haven't had a team keep three Rule Five picks since what, like the 2003 Tigers when they lost 119 games. I mean, and well, so Cordoba. Like again, if you if you're I, again, I, the problem I have
0: is is that is he good enough if you didn't have to go through this process? Well, maybe because. He's, I mean, again, he's a top 30 prospect. Yes, he's, oh, he's a top, he's he was a has borderline a, top 10 he prospect. Has, he has a path to being a future productive big leaguer. Yeah. My worry is is that once you do this to him, if, if this was his chance, if he had a 20% chance of being a productive big leaguer, I think the Rule 5 process is going to make
1: him a lot of money. But... Potentially. Potentially.
0: Yes. If he stays on the roster the whole year, it's it's a significant, a very dramatic... <laughs>
1: oh, if he stays on the roster, it makes him a lot of money. If he's just in spring training, he gets big
0: league per, meal money. Per diem. But um, although it does also bump up your uh, minor league salaries and all that, potentially, too, because you've been on the 40-man and all that. But with that, if it was a 20% chance before, the process of this makes it maybe a 5 or 10% chance. You're right. And again, I think Cordoba's easier to carry than Luis Teren's
1: so I thought Terence, because of the injury history, might be easier to hide. No, that's it's true. Because both of these is,
0: guys, both these guys, if you're gonna carry them, they're gonna be hurt. I don't care if it's a and hangnail. Hasn't been hurt, right. I don't care if it's a hangnail. I don't care if he has a bad cough that
1: requires at least two months on the DL. It is the Padres. They've but, had some injury history. But, uh, some interesting injury history.
0: I mean, Wei Chung Wang, the year that, again, when we talk about guys being stashed, Wang that year. Pitched so little in the big leagues, but he came down with injuries that let them let them put him on the DL. And he threw more innings in the minors on his thirty day rehab assignment than he did in the majors. So there is every incentive in the world, you know, again, guys don't make it through a year without some sort of bruises and you know, and again, the player Especially him- when
1: they play every day, these the, guys aren't gonna be playing every the day. The player
0: himself is not going to complain he wants to stay on the big league roster again all the incentives are there for it can be some minor ailment that forces you to shut him down yeah he's not his shoulders just not feeling well when he lets go the little throws right. we're
1: gonna have to shut him down we're gonna be, be careful about it that's why I think Terence with his past documented shoulder injuries yes. I think it's easier to carry because you can fudge it also because if you catch the ball if you receive and he has that ability. You could at least do the minimum and stick in the big leagues as a catcher. Not much is expected, and he would basically be expected to be a backup to Austin Hedges and maybe Christian Bedencourt. You brought up Bedencourt's arm strength, his athleticism. I, I suppose he could play some outfield. Uh, there's he pitched a little bit. There's been talk about him being a two way guy and pitching and catching in the big leagues, being a hey, backup again, catcher and extra pitcher. You know, if you're trying to win forty, want to you know want to? Do run it. an experiment. So, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't even know how else to say it. Like, to me, uh, the Padres uh, don't seem to, I, I don't see the plan when you draft these three guys. But maybe they, maybe they keep none of them. Well, maybe they try to trade for all of them. But why would, if you're the Yankees, why would you trade? Well, what, you know, if you like Luis Torrens, when you just want him back, just take him back.
0: This is the thing that I did want to clear up. I do think these are Cordoba and Torrens. Miguel Diaz, I follow where you could make Absolutely. a. Absolutely. You could keep them, and if not, I can follow where you maybe also work a trade. That's a conventional Rule Five pick. The other two are the unconventional picks. But if you're, the only reason I could see the Yankees, if you would have to give something up significant for Luis Torrens. I could follow why you could because the problem is is that for Luis Torrens, you if you're the Yankees, you're going through this next year and the year after and the year after that as well. In that Luis Torrens is nowhere near being ready to help,
1: and the Yankees are gonna have crowded 40-mans. Certainly, but if he, I mean, but this is a guy they invested in mm-hmm. when they signed him as an amateur, um, and, they, and, they, and they like him. You know, they didn't put him on the rule five, not because they didn't like him, because they on the 40-man because they didn't like him. They, they thought he wouldn't get picked. Same thing with the Cardinals. I mean, the Cardinals had a lot of younger Latin American players. Magnuris Sierra had to be uh, protected, uh, Eli Alvarez had to be mm-hmm. protected. Um, I'm leaving out the other infielder that had to protect the shortstop who was at Peoria. So they had a lot of difficult choices on their Rule 5 draft, and they left Cordoba off deliberately because they thought, well, no one's going to try to take this guy from the Appy League to the Big or, League. And Home. if they
0: do, he won't be able to stick. So I, I but think, if they offered him back, why? Are you, you're not going to say, okay, $100,000 and he's yours. Right. It's going to be, I mean, the Padres have enough prospects to trade from, but then you're you're giving up equivalent value and that doesn't make this then the rule 5 has provided you no advantage beyond the fact that you got
1: a month to try him out. Well, we've talked a lot of rule yeah. 5 already on but this podcast. Uh, other uh, who else do you like in the rule 5 draft? Who, uh, who if you, I'm going to ask you to limit yourself pick 3 guys who you think are most likely to stick. Uh Justin Haley. Uh,
0: again, Justin Haley is the opposite end of the spectrum of rule 5 pick. Right. But Justin Haley is a guy who he could be a number five slash six starter. He had success at AAA last year, and it's the Angels. The Angels, I, I feel confident saying the Angels starting rotation is going to have an injury or two this year, because I feel confident every year in saying that the Angels yes. starting rotation is going to have an injury or two. So that's one.
1: All, all, I would say all rotations, you can be but confident especially, in that.
0: Uh, Mike Hosschild, uh who the Rangers took, and I lot I, you know...
1: There's nothing flashy about Housechild. These are the... So Haley's with the Twins. He's not with sorry, the Angels. Twin, sorry, he was twin. traded. Yeah, that's, a, that's a rebuilding yeah. team. And Haley... To, to me, the common thread between Haley and Housechild is they both have AAA time. AAA time and AAA success. Right. So that's,
0: AAA success. I mean, Hoschild did that. He's more of like a four-pitch guy. Is there a 60 on the scouting report? Probably not. But there are a lot of 45s to 50s to 55s. And had success in the PCL, which is a difficult... You know, it, a, a very difficult pitching environment. A lot of places he went.
1: How much of this do you think is a uh, <laughs> is the Rangers just trolling the Astros in a way? Like, hey, look, you don't want him, we'll take him.
0: But also I do think, though, that, again, he's also one of those guys. He fits. He is not that different than Joby and Jeannie right. last year. Right. Where you say that if you take a guy who isn't, again, the stuff is, is – perfectly average right. as a starter, if you end up moving him, he's going to compete for the fifth starter job. But if he doesn't get that, there's the fallback position where you say, you know what, if you focus on two or three of these pitches and we're asking you to basically let it air it out for an inning, yeah. could 90, 92, 93 become
1: 94, 95? Yeah, maybe so. And he also has, the thing that I like best about him, just from an analytical standpoint, is he's pitched more about 230 innings in the Pacific Coast League the last two years, only 13 home runs allowed. I know Fresno's not, you know, it's not uh, Albuquerque, it's not right. Reno. But you play in Albuquerque. In but Reno. you do play in those in those parks, and uh, he's been good. Um, so the, both those players. So f- give me a player, from the, the Rule Five that you like, who's not tied to the city of Fresno, either as AAA or or in college, as T- Haley was. Tyler Webb also. Uh, okay. Tyler Webb,
0: left-hander, who King uh,
1: Yankees. Uh, yeah, I mean who. Again. The Yankees had a very full roster, and it was very hard, and they protected 40, and they left some players available. Lefty reliever,
0: who's been very good against lefties the last two years in AAA, so he
1: has track record again.
0: Again, to me, the Rule 5 picks that succeed are the ones where you're trying to hit the or double, not yep. try to hit the home run. It, you're going to go about, uh, it, it basically, you're not going to have a Chris Carter success rate I'm trying to hit the home runs, right. <laughs> but if you just put the ball in play, you know, you on those guys, these are guys who uh, we see every year. Like last year, the guy that we both caught, one of the guys, I'm not the only guy, but one of the guys we were talking about in the Rule 5 draft was Chris Davinsky.
1: Right. Because Chris Davinsky was a guy who had has a great changeup and had had AAA success. We were surprised, I mean, like, especially after seeing him in El Paso in the AAA championship game, just seeing him pitch so well for seven innings, it just seemed like, wait a minute, this guy was up to 94? The changeup's clearly plus, so what's the problem? Why wasn't he rule five, and then he went out and pitched 100 big league innings in a variety of roles very, uh, you know, very well in 2016, and looks like he's got a chance to be in the Astros rotation in 2017. And those are the kind of guys to me, like... Again, Haley and Housechild, are similar. But you're, you're not trying to...
0: The reason that he wasn't picked was is that I'm sure is that teams looked at him and said, oh, we've got guys like this. I guess so. Um, you know, it we, turns out they didn't. And, then, and again, he was very valuable. But again, he was ready to come in. To me, most of the time your Rule 5 success comes with guys who, when you draft them, when you go into the manager's office and he asks you, can this guy help us? And mm-hmm. the answer is, is, yeah, we think he can. Right. You're not just carrying this guy right. to play with a 24-man roster. This is a guy who we think will help you, like, will contribute to your team this year.
1: I like the Orioles' picks of uh, Nuri Tavares and uh, Anthony Santander. I think Santander's got as much upside as anybody who was drafted mm-hmm. in this, including Cordoba. And I think Anthony Santander can really hit, and the shoulder injury, uh, A, is the reason that he wasn't protected. B, makes it easier to carry yeah. him, um, easier to fudge it. And I think you do have to defer in a lot of ways to Dan Duquette and the front office uh, mm-hmm. in Baltimore. They do as good a job as anybody in finding Rule 5 picks, and if Tavares – had a, had a 2017 year that was very similar to Joey Rickards' 2016 mm-hmm. year. Wouldn't shock me at all. Be a guy who's an igniter, uh, top of the order kind of guy, second hole hitter, gets on base, and he hit in double A. So I like those picks. Um, JJ, those, for us, the Rule 5 draft, that's a big deal. It's a huge deal uh, on our website. We love that our fans responded to the Rule 5 draft. We'll wrap up the Facebook Live part of this, talking a little bit about the White Sox trades. I think those were the bigger deals of the Rule 5, of the uh, winter meetings this year. Um, with well, the two trades the White Sox made. Um, and first, they've, re- they've completely reworked.
0: We've, we've already come out with our White Sox top ten on the website, and was a lot different. It was
1: the latest, As- was the latest SBA. Uh You can go to baseballamerica.com, slash, use the tag, and then ASBA is the tag. Um, so we have Chris Sale going to the Red Sox for one package. We had Adam Eaton go to the Nats for another package. Which package do you like better? It almost feels like the... Adam Eaton package challenges the Chris Sale package, which is, tells you just how much teams value having control, and the Nationals getting five years of control on Adam Eaton. So, club control of his cost control married with a good player versus two years of control for, I would say, a great pitcher in Chris Sale. Um, but it seems that like the packages' uh, process are similar.
0: Very similar. I, I mean, I, I do think you're getting a little bit more upside in the, uh, the sale package because in Moncada, you're getting a guy who. You can very well make the argument that he is the best prospect in baseball. I don't think I. Will, I don't. My prediction is is when our top hundred comes out, he's not going to be number one. Right.
1: But he's going to have one of the highest uh, upside grades on the BA grades. We, we it's basically like a forty to eighty scale because we're not putting any twenties or thirties or thirty fives in the handbook. But on that forty to eighty kind of spectrum in the handbook, he's if he doesn't have the highest ceiling, he'll be one of the two or three highest ceilings, and there's a pretty big risk associated with them.
0: But So you have a guy who is very much in the discussion for number one. I'd say that like his floor is probably like number five. I mean, and that's probably his floor because the ceiling's so high. And then you have in the uh, Eaton trade, I would say that you have a bigger spread of guys who... I, it's not crazy to think... I mean, again, Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, Dame Dunning are three very interesting pitchers. Giolito is obviously the big name of that group. Certainly, um, I do think with Giolito, you are the, the Nationals are trading him not at the peak of his value, but a little bit on the other side of the peak, where it's like the, the White Sox are getting a guy who maybe they're even getting. You, you could go back around on this and say they're almost getting a little bit of value on it because Lucas Giolito was more available now than he would have been last year at this time.
1: Very much so. Because Very much the case,
0: the reality is, is he was pretty poor in the big leagues. And that's something that teams saw. And so so that's again, that just that makes him a little bit more uh, available. Lopez has an arm that is exceptional. Dane Dunning was a first round pick this year, and it's not and impossible. He was good after his debut. He was and very good in his very debut. good. And it's not impossible that Dane Dunning could end up being the when we look back on this seven, eight years from now, he could be the key guy they got in this. Because he has that potential. He has less upside than the other two, but they, he also has, has a better ahead. fastball
1: command. Yeah. I mean, right now he has the best fastball command of those three guys, which is kind of uh, startling. Um, we've definitely had uh, interesting debates, so we I think this is a good debate to have on Facebook Live, and we can uh, discuss it. We've definitely had this debate in the office uh, repeatedly: Lopez versus Giolito, Not just this year with this trade; mm-hmm. we've had it for really two years since the first time. <laughs> <Excuse> <laughs> since the first time. Here comes number two. Oh, there we go. Uh, We need a sneeze button. Uh, But we've had this debate since the first time that you saw Renato Lopez, and you were like, this guy is the shizzle. I mean, you were on that guy from day one. And to me, they're they're just extremely different prospects. Different Different bodies, um, different repertoires, different arm slots, the way it comes out, different experience levels. Ronaldo Lopez has been more who we thought – he's more the Dennis Green pitcher. He's kind of been who we thought he was uh, to this point. Really good stuff, iffy control, not enough command, but possibility they have enough control to be a further rotation starter. For me, the further rotation is one, two, or three. Would you start in a playoff series for your team? That's that's the definition of further rotation versus the back. Um, you A know, number three is harder to be uh, – easier to be a number three than a two or a one would you start a playoff game? And we just saw, like to me, that defined line is Jason Hamill, not a playoff starter. Uh, a Good pitcher, but that's the definition of a 4-5. If mm-hmm. you don't have to start him in the playoffs, you don't. Uh, Josh Tomlin would be a definition of a 4-5. If the Indians had had their full repertoire of starters, he would not have started in the postseason. Um, I think that Ronaldo Lopez is above that line, JJ. Oh, yeah. And I think guys who throw hard like him are either above that line or the relievers – Lucas Giolito, he has more bust potential than Renato Lopez, and I think that he showed that in the big leagues this year. He went from a guy who was pitching in the minor leagues last year with a 70 fastball, and you could see him being a guy who pitched with an 80 fastball. You could have seen him being a guy who got to the big leagues and, like Noah Syndergaard, pitched at the top of the register of fastball velocity in the major leagues as a starter. That would have been an 8 fastball. And he said he was basically a 50 fastball in the big leagues this year. He backed up in velocity, and it was an extremely hittable fastball. So when you're predicated on great fastball, great curveball, and then you become average fastball, great curveball with scatter command, then you get racked like uh, you know a Randy Cack, to use an old Dan Jennings term, the way that Luke, Lucas Giolito did this year. And correct me if I'm wrong, you have more faith in Ronaldo Lopez than you do in Lucas Giolito.
0: Yes. And the reason I do that is is that when you talked about, like, okay, front of the rotation starter, we've even seen at the big league level, it was flashes. But we have seen flashes where you do see Ronaldo
1: Lopez dominating big league hitters. It's little glimpses, but... It's usually for, like, one or two innings, and then, like, when oh, he's wait, locked in, you want in. me to go through a lineup three times? Right. But Dang when he's it.
0: locked in... That's hard. When he's locked in, fastball, changeup... And even the breaking ball, it's not been consistent enough, but it's there. And we've seen it. We've seen his ability to miss bats. With Giolito, you just hit on it. If the fastball is playing, is hittable, and he's not locating it, the curveball really doesn't come into play. And so he's got more steps to do. You're right. He has a higher ceiling because Lucas Giolito is a mountain of a man. Yes. And Ronaldo Lopez... If you're describing it, it's like it's a it's more of a Giordano Ventura type uh, body. Like yeah, it's, it's, I mean he's
1: thicker, but yes, he's he's closer to that genre of pitcher.
0: Right, where you're seeing exceptional velocity coming out of a shorter pitcher, and there is a little effort. There's more effort to it Correct. than there is with Giolito as well. Definitely. But what you you know to me, what you're saying with that though is is that with Lopez, it's the chain again. You're, you're with both of them. You're talking about. The fastball, if they're both playing where they should be, the fastball in both cases, you know, the, the Giolito at his best and Lopez at his best, you're at least a 70 fastball right. in both cases. Right. And then it's change-up versus curveball. Ideally, curveball Curveball curve curve gives you a higher upside, dude. Yep. But, again, Giolito has a breaking ball that you see it on the right night. It's a 50 or better. And if your fastball changed up... 50 curveball. Okay, well, then you're, then it's, and it, it, again, it doesn't have to be 60 command or 60 control. Right. 50, and you're a good pitcher. Right. Giolito it's more steps that, are, there are more steps left to be done to get to where he needs to be.
1: Yeah. Lopez is closer to the big leagues. Uh, for me, Giolito does have the higher upside because yeah. it is a curveball uh, as your dominant secondary pitch. I think the biggest issue for Lucas Giolito is that he's big. He is a Huge mother-scratcher. I mean, guy's listed at 6'6", 255. And we've talked about all this stuff with Tyler Kolick and his size and how outsized he is. The next biggest guy we found was Lucas Giolito. And for some reason, until researching Tyler Kolick, that really had escaped me that Lucas Giolito is on the north end of how big you can be to be a big league starter. We talk about this all the time with big starters like Jeff Neiman or John Rausch or the really tall guys who throw hard. I mean, this isn't Chris Young, Mister Deception. This we, isn't Randy Johnson, left-handed. This is a big jumbo right-hander. There's not a lot of them. JJ Tyler Glass is That's another the guy one. that we
0: talk about. That these are both assets and
1: hurdles for him. That's exactly right. Being that big is both a good thing for him because he, when he's in sync, he uses his, uh, you know, he he uses his size. He pitches with some leverage. His fastball doesn't have great life, but when he's right, he's got angle and velocity. So. And, and control of the fastball. I'm not sure he has that true command. But for me, um, you know, it turns out there were delivery changes that Lucas Giolito made in 2016 that did not work for him. So we'll, we'll see if Don Cooper and those. guys. I, I like that trade for the White Sox. But let's face it, the White Sox track record of developing pitching is actually not that great. Uh, they love it. Internally, they're high on their ability to develop pitchers. From afar, I would say at the big league level, yes. Chris Sale didn't pitch much in their minor leagues. Jose Quintana didn't pitch at all in their minor leagues. Went straight from high-class A Tampa to the big leagues. Very rare story. So Don Cooper's track record is very good. I do think at times, to be quite honest, I'm being blunt in this podcast and this Facebook Live, I think it gives the White Sox a little arrogance in their player evaluations of their pitchers. They think we can take anybody and make them good. They did it with Gavin Floyd a few years ago, so it has worked. But Dunning
0: works at the big league level.
1: Yeah, so in the minor leagues, so I would anticipate Giolito and Lopez being in the big leagues, and that Don Cooper will try to work with them. I worry about Dane Dunning. I do. Um,
0: I do think though also that you're going to see the the difference. You're going to see the white he'll side move this fast.
1: Year. I bet, but they're going to move that slower this year though. I know, but I know they say that. But Kenny Williams is still there, and you know, Kenny Williams. He roasts his prospects. They get to the big leagues fast. How Tim Anderson survived that gauntlet and got to the big leagues, a guy must be an eight athlete. I mean, he's a very athletic player, obviously, but he survived it. He didn't get better at play discipline at all in the minor leagues, but he's so athletic. It didn't seem like it mattered, and he did get better. Um, you know, defensively throughout the minors, I do need to give like the guys like Ever Magianis, the infield coordinator, some real credit. Um, no, on the other side, Bjorn Moncada. This is not a guy who no, they traded no, for. There's, One to, there's to there's thing I want to a. ask you
0: with this: we were talking about Giolito because we brought up Glasno. Tyler Glasnow, Lucas Giolito.
1: That's for another podcast. Okay. I would prefer Giolito, but this is you know we're trying yeah, yeah. to finish. So um, I, the Moncada trade: what they got from the Red Sox? Moncada, Michael Kopech, Moncada, mm-hmm. Kopech, Giolito, Lopez. Line them up. Your opinion.
0: My opinion is okay. You, you got, you're working the Zach Collins on there. Out to me. I don't want to. I don't okay. want to worry about Zach Collins. I just want the the traded players at the top. Mancada is clearly the one. I think he is too. And I think like he's in this one tier, like where position
1: player, switch hitter, very high, to me high floor. Even if he doesn't hit for a great average, even if he's not a Robbie Cano who switch hits and runs, you know. I mean, I think he's going to be an impactful player. Speed-wise, athleticism, I think he will make an impact. Whether and he's I, a star or
0: not, I don't know. And I like the fact that now second base is an option again for him. Absolutely. I, I do think that that is probably his ideal. Set, second base or center field, to me, are the ideal Yohan Mankata positions. And there's a part of me... That does think that... like stick him, in, stick him in the outfield, let him go. I'm I'm, I'm right there with you. Because I do think, I mean, his speed plays, he's got an arm that will be a weapon in yeah. center field, all that. So, But he's the top tier. Right. I'm going to go Lopez over Giolito, but I will say, those two, again, are in the same tier.
1: It's like a 55 high or like a 55 medium versus a 60 high in the right. BA grades. They're in the same grades. tier where oh.
0: if you want to argue Giolito, okay, I follow it, higher ceiling, more risk. They're in that same group. Yeah. They're
1: they grouped together. But it is amazing that to me, Lucas Giulito is riskier than Renato Lopez. But I think it's absolutely true. Next after that, Michael Kopech, who
0: he's basically a year from now, he could be where those guys are. Because really, what we haven't seen with Michael Kopech, there's two things. One, can you stay? Neither healthy. Stay can you field, stay on the field for a year where you're not suspended, you where you're not somebody. broken a hand because
1: from a punch? You know, can you do that? So that's one step. Makeup, makeup that keeps you off the field is difficult to overcome in some ways, but it can be done. And uh, he's thrown 135 innings as a pro. I'd like to see that in one year and two. When
0: you talk about control and a guy, and again, he's a lot earlier on in his development process. This is where Lucas Giolito was a couple of years ago. Yes, but or Renato Lopez or Renato Lopez, very similar. But I'll say this though, Lopez, you know, but like Kopech, you you really do see it in flashes, like Lopez. The thing I like, the other thing about Lopez versus Giolito or Copec is, is that and it's appropriate to the level he was at, but when Ronaldo Lopez has been on, he's dominated for a month at a time,
1: month and a half. He never where, struck out fourteen per over fourteen per nine right. over fifty innings. I mean like he's been dominant, not as dominant as Kopech was in high class A. Kopech missed more
0: bats, but because but the thing about it is is he's a much better pitcher though, from the standpoint of like Kopech
1: also Did but, he have but, a better than a one whip? I mean, Kopech walked a lot of guys, but he didn't give up any hits. I know you love Ronaldo Lopez, Michael Kopech at his peak in High A better than Ronaldo Lopez was in High A. That's true. That's 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 all I'm saying.
0: That's all true. I go back to Lopez that year that he was in short season Low A where he didn't allow a run for like literally like a month and a half. Right. That's that's where I haven't.
1: He's never missed as many bats. He threw more strikes than Michael Kopech, but he never missed as many bats. It was always a little more hittable. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, no, like that, that matters. No, but but Kopech,
0: Kopech could easily be the number one guy of these guys we're talking about next year.
1: Right. Michael Kopech, to me, is a lot actually more like Tyler Glasnow in some yes. ways than Lucas Giolito. Yes. Gilito's just like out on his own island. He's just so different because he's so stinking big. It's not just tall. It's big. He is big. He's not John Manuel big, sloppy. He's just big. And uh, you just don't see 6'6", 255 on the ledger next to big league starting pitchers that you just but don't not very often I, the funny thing is, is i think kopech's floor is really high i would agree as well yeah because, i think so too because if michael
0: kopech does not develop if michael kopech stagnates where he is now you can take the stagnated michael kopech <laughs> put him in a big league bullpen and say it's a good band name stagnated kopech throw really hard yeah and he'd be wild sure but he even if he doesn't really develop, he's going to figure out how to throw a few more strikes. And if he's just going out one inning, that walk rate's going to go down eventually because it's basically fastball slider, fastball slider. Yep. And when can we talk, it. we're talking hundred plus fastball, and the slider will keep getting a little bit better.
1: If there's an American Chapman, it's Michael Kopech. Mm-hmm. If there's an American guy who you could see go out there and throw 105 miles an hour out of the bullpen, it's Michael Kopech. I mean, that's that, that's that's the bottom line. That guy, if that guy went out one inning bursts. And I mean, like he's like to me, his floor is like what the Astros thought Kenny Giles would be this year: fastball and slider. Hundred throws a hundo every night as a closer and snaps off just nasty high eighty sliders. I mean, like again, so from a floor standpoint, I can see Michael Kopech. I just think you can see three years from now, Michael Kopech with like hair down to the middle of his back and like this giant leg kick, like a taller, stretched out version of Craig Kimbrell just like crazy music, guitars blaring, coming out of the bullpen, flames, fire emojis all over <laughs> whatever social media they are in three years, and the game's you know, one, two, three, you're out. I mean, that, that is – I don't think that's far away for Michael Kopech. And, again, I think it will be very tempting for the White Sox to put him in that role very soon, especially if they trade David Robertson. They have other pieces to trade. Oh, Robertson, they did that. maybe Brett Lowry, Todd Frazier – but, uh, Jose Abreu. But that well, that's the last thing I wanted to post to you, but I will point out like if you a uh, Zach
0: Birdie, Carson Fulmer, uh, Oh man. Uh Michael Kopeck Bullpen would be a
1: potential like Yankees, Batonsas, Miller, Chapman type. It and really it, is. And I bet you that's part of the plan. Why haven't we talked about that in the office? That's an incredible plan. I like that plan. I'm but, suddenly
0: on board with this. So let me ask you though this, because to me, obviously the biggest piece they have left is Jose Quintana. Yeah. And there was a report that came out the end of last week, or I think over the weekend that said that they had been talking to the Astros, and the ask was, and I'm probably going to quote it wrong now, which is going to frustrate Joe
1: Musgrove me. was part of it.
0: Musgrove, Martez, Tucker. <laughs> and let me ask you, so let me ask you, what do you think? First, is that a fair
1: ask? And second, do you do that deal if you're the Astros? Jose is really good. I wouldn't do that if I were the Astros, to be honest with you, because Jose Quintana is good. Uh, he's very good um, and very but, consistent. But you know, to me, uh, I think the chances that Jose, that Francis Martez, approximates Jose Quintana <laughs> in the next two years is decent. I didn't say equals; I said approximates. I think that Quintana and Musgrove can be part of a rotation for the Astros when they go to a World Series, when they win a pennant, maybe when they win a championship. Um, I think those oh. are two guys who would be in your first three or four playoff starters for them. I, I really do. Um, I think McCullers is going to wind up as their closer when they win a championship. Not as a starter. He throws so many breaking balls. Um, you know, so for me, I wouldn't make that trade if I were the Astros, but um, I would try to find some other way to try to acquire Jose Quintana. But I mean, I understand the White Sox holding out. Why not? I mean, I, I, again, what do they that, have to lose right now?
0: It, I understand the White Sox asking for that because I do think that that is, like, if you just got what you got for sale – Quintana, who is also under locked up for a long time yeah. and also has been, I mean. I think he hasn't been
1: as good as Sale, he but, good, he, but he's close and he's actually, I think, under more or longer club control. And he's more conventional from the
0: standpoint of like, there, there the slight <laughs> chance with Sale, there's always that. There's always that slight nagging thing of this guy, look at his size and all this. Is he going to hold up for another five years? Well, he has so
1: far. Right. You have to say he probably will. I think there are two risk factors with Chris Sale. Number one, going to that Boston media market. You know, the dude slashed up. You were there. You and Hudson were there. We were actually, yes, we were were at the game. You were supposed to see Chris Sale pitch, and then he cut up the uniforms. How long would that firestorm last in Boston versus on the south side of Chicago in a year where the Cubs (laughs) are barreling toward their first World Series? I mean, like that was just like a blip on the south side in Boston. That would just be an unbelievable tempest. It would be, it would just dominate the no matter what happens in politics or the real world in 2017. Chris Sale slashing up Red Sox jerseys would be the top of the news for days. What would I mean? I guess I would ask
0: this. I'll post it this way. So he has to handle that. What would Pablo Sandoval have to do to knock Chris Sale off of like? Would he literally well, have to be like found? Would, would he have to be found like in an all-you-can-eat buffet, like passed out with food all around him or something?
1: Like that's the only thing I can think of that would move Chris Sale off of if he slashed up the, the throwbacks. Uh, I think I started this by being the fat guy making fat jokes, and I apologize for that. So uh, yeah, so so we so I would line up those four players. So it sounds like you're going. Uh, those top four guys, Moncada, Lopez, Copec, Giolito. No, L- L-
0: Lopez, I think Okay. L- Lopez and Giolito again. And then Copec. And then Copec And he's that next tier. Right. And, and, then, I, and, I just and then Basabe. Pref- yeah. Basabe is, he's probably not a top 100 guy now. I, if someone put him, we're, we do 150s when we put together. He'll be I would in be, my internal in, 150. He'll yeah. be in a
1: 150. I think he will be in my internal 150 because on there, there's some swing and miss there. But there's also some power and speed there, chance to be a center fielder. Ultimately, I think he's more of a 50 ceiling than a 55 on the BA grade, but but there's but, some there some
0: there, for sure. By the way, one thing that makes me think about this is that when the Padres mm-hmm. traded, which, the, I mean, when the Red Sox traded Anderson Espinosa, which, that's the trade that I think that's, that's going to look back and look bad, is Mm-mm, the mm, Drew okay. Pomeranz for Anderson Espinoza. Didn't like it. But the reason that they were, at the time, one of the things that allowed them to trade Anderson Espinoza was the development mm-hmm. of Michael Kopech, because it allowed right. them to kind of look at it and say, we've got Michael, you know, we've got Michael Kopech, so we can trade Anderson Espinoza because we still got an elite pitching prospect. Now they've traded Kopech as well. And again, I follow it. The reality of it is, is Michael Kopech, unless they want him to be part of fire emoji bullpen, <laughs> they don't, you know, he's not going to help them in this window they're looking at, Six, 17, 18, 19, which really to me, the Dombrowski era, The way, Dombrowski does not look at it as, we want to be competitive over the next eight. Oh, yeah. He looks nowadays. at it as we have windows and we're a big market team. So once that window clears, we can rebuild to another window.
1: Right. they will reload. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, Corey Morris on Facebook says, uh, great stuff, guys. So thank you, Corey. It's been a long Facebook Live, but glad to see that. Uh, Mickey Koch, who is a uh, consistent uh, commenter to us on on Facebook, on, uh, on Twitter as well. Uh, he earlier commented, come on, you guys know what A.J. Preller is doing, what the Padres are doing. I'll be surprised if the Padres don't keep them all. Look at what they've been doing with their big league roster. Mickey, I will be surprised if they do keep them all because it, historically it just hasn't happened. And while A.J. Preller is different, and he is historically different, Um, I don't think that baseball is that different. I don't think you can play with an effective 22-man roster, even if you're trying to lose 120 games. It'd be charitable, 23, because even if you say that Diaz could at least do something, it is really hard to say. Right. And the the reward for picking first has been lowered, because the new CBA is going to crunch the... uh, Bonus pulls together a little bit because the number one pick value is going to go from like right around nine million to seven point four this year. So you yeah. get less of an. Event. This is one of the things they did to try to give teams a little less incentive for tanking, and I think it was a good move from that re- in that regard. So I, I just don't think it's smart move. Uh, I, I didn't go to an Ivy League school, so I, but I don't think it was a good move. And then uh, Chris Avalos says great moves by the White Sox. Um, I think the White Sox, JJ, like, can do this because everyone in Chicago is paying attention to the Cubs.
0: Well, the other thing, though, is that when we talk about that, how rebuilding... They're not tanking, but we... I, I do think that White Sox fans overall,
1: they're... It's funny how there is this excitement about it, but the reality of it is, is that... White Sox fans are almost an oxymoron. I mean, huh? but it really is. They're the least-watched Major League team on TV ratings consistently. Right, right now, especially with the yeah. Cubs being where they are,
0: but... But what I'm saying, though, is, but there are White Sox fans, and the White Sox fans that I've talked to about this, one of the things that really kind of can be summed up as is being mediocre, being in the mediocre middle. Correct. There is, it's not just that there's no. There are definite disadvantages to it for a for an organization from the standpoint of there are disadvantages to it from you you pick you get less money to you know the draft. Your you get pick as a protected. Right. All those free things. Agent, yep. But beyond that, it also doesn't make you significantly more entertaining as a fan. Right. Like,
1: I mean, they had this is a team. Yeah, the White Sox fans are not entertained by a team with no offensive ability, no dynam, no dynamism offensively. Uh, they only hit home runs and they win 77 games every year. It's just not right. So, not so a good again, not a good look. Even though you are saying goodbye
0: to one of the better White Sox players ever,
1: Chris yeah, Sale is one of the I mean, better. He, yeah.
0: I mean when you talk about it, I mean, this is not we're not talking, let's say, just be honest, we're not talking about the Yankees, where you say, Well, Sale ranks as probably the forty-fifth best Yankee of all time. This is the White Sox. It's a little bit lower bar you're clearing. Chris <laughs> Sale has been really good basically for a significant period of time now. And he's in their
1: top twenty war on B ref. He is number eighteen in all time. I think he's and a Paulie, And that is and when you I talk about a are they gonna build Chris Sale a statue? And and so so you're
0: talking about they just said goodbye to especially one of their last 30, 40 years, one of their greats. Right. And fans generally, there's no protest at the, you know, at the ballpark or anything like that because the reality of this is that every White Sox fan knows Chris Sale, can he's not going to pitch much better than he has. Quintana's not going to pitch much better than he has. And, and, and we can't win without. <laughs> and, we, and we haven't won with them doing that.
1: My question for that would be uh, how they not win with that. <laughs> How, that would be my question if I were a White Sox guy. and that was, what, that was what would make me have less faith in the fact that, yes, there's been some change at the top with Rick Hahn, and now you have Chris Getz is going to be their farm director. Buddy Bell's still there. And again, I like a lot of the guys with the White Sox, um, but it's kind of the same team making the changes. And For me, as long as Kenny Williams is there, um, I think it's going to be difficult for them to really truly rebuild. That guy's an impatient front office executive. He has a World Series on his ledger. And no other modern front office person in Chicago White Sox history say, has that, that. So that's pretty good, but um, I, I still I don't trust him to rebuild. That's for sure.
0: One thing notable about this is we look at the BRF White Sox pages. How many? How few? Black and
1: white. How few of the mugshots of the all-time top twenty and more
0: are pictures that were taken in color.
1: A lot, of, um, a lot of Black uh, A football. lot of
0: guys who it's like, oh, yes, I remember the Black Sox scandal. That was a dastardly day on our...
1: Uh. Well, I'm going to go hit quit. You take us out on Facebook Live, JJ, then we'll keep podcasting.
0: So, but thank you again for coming out. We will probably have at least one more Facebook Live. It may be me, shaky cam on a uh, camera talking prospects at some point. But uh, if we don't see, we also will try to be doing more podcasts. But we are trying to wrap up the handbook.
1: So, what last topic do you want us to hit on before we uh, wrap up this podcast? whew, that's tough yeah we we the, the winter meetings were uh they were chock full of stuff, but those to me were the big they were the big moves I am interested in uh we can do some quick takes because I'm interested in what you thought of the trade that the uh nationals made subsequently, where they gave up basically Danny espinoza almost for nothing really i mean like the angels yeah. the angels have had a very interesting the angels was, uh, are doing what, off season. The
0: angels are doing what to me they have to do, right? And I and I, and they're doing it under limitations. Correct. Like so, they are clearly, they are not a player. They are not. There was not a situation when they were going to go out and be the big players in free agency this year. You right. knew that.
1: They they, they still have uh, how much of the two hundred ninety five million Albert Pujols contract to pay? How much of Josh Hamilton left to pay?
0: Yes. Oof. Oh, they, Oof. But so they're not going to be a big player that way. However. This is a team that has to win now. Yes, the window, the the window keeps getting smaller because partly you just mentioned Albert Pujols. Partly because the reality of it is is that Albert Pujols, every year you kind of wake up at the start of the year and go, "Is he going to be okay this year?" <laughs> and you go, "How yeah. are his feet this year?" Right,
1: and so far, will he have us above three hundred OBP this year? Because he's he's still hitting home runs, but he's basically a he doesn't walk nearly as often anymore. Right. He's more of a. He makes a lot more outs than he used to. Right.
0: And this is understandable. You are going to see the steady decline of Albert Pujols. At some point, you are going to be paying Albert Pujols a massive amount of money to either be a anchor in your lineup or to not play for you. Right. They're not there yet. But and so when you're not there, and when you also have the best player in baseball and one of the best players that's ever played the game, yes, you have to. <laughs> Hopefully, take advantage of that.
1: What I really like about what Billy Epler has done there is they've gotten a lot more athletic and a lot better on defense. Danny Espinoza is a good defensive player yeah, at second base. Almost seems like it's it's like a luxury to have it's his arm. Be- at it's base. almost
0: beneath him in some ways. It
1: is because his arm is so. It's so much fun to watch. B, I'm really wondering, like, just what kind of facial hair he's going to have in Southern California. I mean, he's bringing it back home. He's a dirt bag. He might really uh, have some hey, but, fun. With and it.
0: again, a minor thing with this is, is, but when you talk about a guy. Getting back
1: into a comfort level as far as that and all might help. It might help a little bit. I and mean, you know he's one of the best bunters in baseball. He his bunt single rate is actually very high in the major leagues. Being back in SoCal, he might just go bunt crazy. He might, yeah, you know, he, might, he might go big. He might and, go big west and again, style. Uh,
0: Simmons Espinoza up the middle. That's if that, you're a pitching that is, staff that makes and Trout, you know, and then Trout
1: Mabin, Calhoun, you feel so the Mabin, that's the other one. So Cameron Mabin, left field was a a, a giant sucking sound like Ross Perot named their left field last year. It was awful. Offense and defense, Cameron Maben, even if he doesn't hit like he did last year, he should be an upgrade for them offensively. And defensively, they didn't have two center fielders, basically, because Cam Maben can go get it in center field. So they have upgraded hey, their defense good. around. And Escobar is an upgrade defensively <laughs> over what they used to have in David Free. So remember that, that game they had to play, to, they had to beat the Rangers a couple years ago in game 161 to stay alive. And their infield was like Johnny Gavatella at second base, David Freeze at third, I forget who the, was. It was the it was, the, it was, uh, it was old uh, Eric Eyball yeah, at Eibar's. shortstop, and then there's so and, C- and Taylor C-
0: Featherston to Bouda Ball
1: sitting on your yeah. bench. So C- so CJ so Krohn's at first base for them a lot. CJ's a good hitter. He's not a great athlete, and he's not a good defender at first base. But you can get away with him. You can play him. But the rest of their infield now is average or better or significantly better defensively. they basically playing
0: three guys who are, for short the majority stops. of their career, shortstops. Right.
1: And then Cameron Maben, majority of career center field. So I really like how for minimal cost, in terms of what they've given up, they have really improved their, uh, their defense all around the diamond. So that's a way for your pitching staff to get better as well. So they obviously need the health of Garrett Richards, of Andrew Heaney, of Tyler Skaggs, Matt Shoemaker, like, let's really hope after that comebacker last year, he can come back. Yeah, and there's always that chance that Alex Meyer,
0: I'm not going, I'm not. Yeah, no,
1: you're poking me. We'll see if Ricky Nolasco is a guy who short after he got there last year, he changes pitch selection. I forget the specifics. I just remember that he started throwing a pitch more with the Angels that he had not thrown very much with the Twins. It was better for him. I think it was a sinker. We'll see. I mean, another SoCal yeah. guy. And I'm always crossing my fingers that we get good Houston Street, you know, who was injured a lot last year, but uh, and,
0: and this is what the angels have proven year over year, because the, the Achilles heel they have is if they have injuries, you are not saying,
1: "So who's available in AAA that we're going to call up to fix this?" Correct. The answer is is no one. Right. The answer is no one. The answer actually has been Caleb Cowart, and that has been bad That's a bad That's one where you know, Trebek's saying, "Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> not correct." but what they have shown
0: and they did this a couple of years ago when they acquired Houston Street is you can have the worst farm system in baseball and the LA Angels are the worst farm system in baseball correct Pro- yeah we so you could have that and that does not preclude you as we just saw with Danny Espinoza, I thought you were going to talk about the big blockbuster challenge trade of Jet Bandy for Martín Maldonado. I'll let you handle that, that one. <laughs> but, but it does not mean you cannot make trades. And at the you get to when you get to midseason, if they have a flaw or two, they're not going to be able to go out there and get the ace to put at the front of your rotation.
1: Right, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. But the ace has to be. Gary Richards. Right. It has to be. They don't have any of their option of ace. But on the flip side, if you
0: said they're in contention and at the midseason you said, you know, third base, Escobar's fine defensively, but we can't live with a 320 slugging at third base. Yeah. We need an upgrade. And we maybe need it's Todd Jeffrey, Frazier. And maybe it's Jeffrey Martin. You know, maybe Todd Frazier's even too expensive. But you can find a guy. You can make moves. You can, if there's a guy they need for the bullpen. You can take on a little bit of salary and you can trade another Austin Adams or, you know, they, they've got guys like that.
1: Yes, Victor Alcantara, who Victor Alcantara traded for Cameron Mabin, doesn't even get in the Tigers top 30. I mean, he would have been in the Angels top 30. The Tigers top 30 is not much better, but he's not making it, JJ. He's just not making it. But he's you not could good trade, enough.
0: I mean, again, if you traded Jamai Jones or Matt Thais, or. I think Matt Thais, when you really think about it, he was drafted to be traded. Because. You could trade someone like that who will move relatively quickly. Matt Theis will probably be in high A, I would imagine, to start the year.
1: Yeah, I bet he's in double A. You know, or I bet he starts A. in high A, Gets some, puts up some Cal League numbers, and goes to double A. And so
0: he's in double A. You could trade him, and you can get another piece. And yeah. again, if I'm the Angels, you cannot – this is something where there is no part of this where you can look at this and say, you know, I don't want to make that trade because that's going to hurt our team in the long term. You're – You've already, you're, you're on your fourth mortgage of the house. Right. I mean, right. you, you managed to get the bank to convince them to and do ra- another one. And rates are starting to go up. Yeah. And so you do this and you basically say, look, I mean, when we need to restart the farm system, if that's going to be the Mike Trout trade where right. all of a sudden it's like, oh, look,
1: you we have, have a your, whole new team. That's right. When you have your finger on the reset button, if you're going to put it there, that's how you're going to reset. But they don't have any. in their- you know, pieces that they could really reset with I don't think so but again I do I still I agree like where with you done. I
0: agree with you in that they have at low cost figured out a way to improve their team which is what they needed to do
1: I agree they needed to improve their team and they figured out a way to do it a creative way to do it and that's you know you've got, you got you want to see that of a general manager it's only a second year as a general manager but so far I think the returns for Billy Upler are pretty solid in uh, Los, in, in Anaheim I'm not going to say Los Angeles we have a handbook to do and Matt Eddie is gonna come in here and have both our hides if we don't get him copy and we both have copy to finish. Yes. So we should wrap up the podcast. We will try to come back before the podcast goes goes live. We will have at, least, goes, uh, goes lot, will have at least
0: one more podcast, I know maybe two. Because we have a Kyle Lewis interview and a Mickey Moniak interview that we will put on a second podcast. So we at least have at least one more. We're gonna to try to give you more than that, but we know we'll at least have one more before we uh, break for the uh, I for keep Christmas. forgetting
1: that we need to do that. Uh, you can read my article about them. I wrote about it on, it's at baseballamerica.com today. Uh, we were driving in cars with minor league I mean with high school no and college though. players of the year. No, no coffee. Um, but and there, let's be
0: honest, it wasn't like a Porsche nine, you know, nine eleven from nineteen sixty
1: two. No, this was closer to the uh, John Stewart Gremlin that, yeah. uh, that episode. But uh, it was fun stuff. We will have that for a podcast with for you later, and maybe one more when the handbook goes to press. But uh, we will try to get you your, your, fi- your fill here in the holiday season. So for J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. So long, everybody.
0: This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time.